Welcome, friends, to the Earl Dex Pokemon Podcast, a podcast that asks, if this Pokemon were real, where might I find it in the real world? What would its moveset and ability be in the wild? Does its data even make sense? I am your host, Geo, and in answering these questions, we'll be discussing the real-life plants, animals, myths, legends, people, things, and even foods that inspired the Pokemon we know and love. It should be noted that we will be using data coming from the core series of games almost exclusively, venturing into the anime, spin-off games, or manga only when absolutely necessary to fill in some blanks, if at all. For our third episode, we'll be looking at our first invasive species of the Pokémon world, numbers 341 and 342, Corphish and Crawdont. Corphish and Crawdont are the first Pokémon we'll be discussing that are not starter Pokémon, and since they are not legendary, mythological, or even significantly beloved by the fanbase, there's precious little information available on the tough little mudbugs. In fact, probably the most distinct thing about them is that Crawdont's typing of Water and Dark makes it a favorite of Team Aqua in Pokémon Ruby and Sapphire. Unfortunately, even there they play second fiddle to the much more popular and arguably more intimidating pair of Carvania and Sharpedo. This feels oddly appropriate, as we'll see throughout the episode that Corphish and Crawdont live to fight, and as the first confirmed invasive species in the Pokémon world, it makes sense that they would have such a hard time fitting in. Nowhere is my home. Let's set the imposter syndrome aside for now, as we take a look at the amalgamated dex entries for Corphish and Crawdont. Corphish, the Ruffian Pokémon. It was originally a Pokémon imported from overseas as a pet that eventually turned up in the wild. Corphish catches prey with its large pincers and will never let go, no matter what. It has no likes or dislikes when it comes to food and will eat anything. This Pokémon has no trouble living in filthy water and will quickly proliferate, even in polluted streams. Its hardy vitality enables it to thrive in any environment. While they may not be starters, legendaries, or mythological, Corphish and Crawdont still hold an important place in the Pokémon world as the first confirmed invasive species as well as being the second explicitly stated predator to be featured on this program. We've seen that in the Pokémon world, there is a fair bit of travel between regions, with Caitlyn of Unova heading up the Battle Castle in Johto, Jasmine of Johto vacationing in Sinnoh, and even a former Team Rocket grunt from Kanto moving to Unova to start a new life, just to name a few. I'm going on an adventure! While all of this movement means there are sure to be non-native Pokémon crossing borders, Corphish is apparently particularly adaptable to seemingly any environment, and so is more likely to not only survive in those new environments, but to even carve a niche for itself in the local ecosystem to such an extent that it warrants inclusion in a region's Pokedex. 
its hardy vitality, refusal to let anything go once caught in its pincers, and designation as the ruffian Pokémon certainly imply a strong will, even the stubbornness to survive in almost any condition. At 2 feet or 60 centimeters tall, Corphish is about as tall as the last episode's Pokémon, Totodile, which we established is about as tall as a standard coffee table. However, Corphish is about 5 pounds heavier than the Alligator Pokémon at 25.4 pounds, or 11.5 kilograms. Interestingly enough, these dimensions are actually quite close to the real-world dimensions of Sagmariasis Verixi, one of the longest decapod crustaceans in the world, known simply as the Packhorse Crayfish. At roughly 2 feet, or 60 centimeters in length, Packhorse crayfish can weigh up to 33 pounds, or 15 kilograms, making corefish seem a bit underfed by comparison. Yeah, where's dinner? I'm starving. Look at me, I'm wasting away. <laughs> Crawdont, the rogue Pokemon. A veteran Crawdont that has prevailed in hundreds of battles has giant pincers marked with countless scars. Other life forms refuse to live in ponds inhabited by this Pokémon, as it has an extremely violent nature that compels it to challenge other living things by flailing its giant claws and crashing into any foe that approaches its nest. It uses its pincers to pick up and toss out other Pokémon from its pond, making them desolate places. It molts regularly, and its pincers often fall off, which will cause it to turn cowardly and timid, hiding in a streambed burrow until they grow back to avoid attack from foes. Unlike Cribrawler or Clauncher, the meat in its claws is utterly nasty and stinking. There is a lot more information to sift through with Crawdont, but we can get a general idea that Crawdont is, for lack of a better word, a bully. Crawdont is primarily characterized by its belligerence, seeking out any other living beings it can find to challenge to battle, attacking Pokémon that come too near its nest, and even picking up and throwing Pokémon out of its nest that may already be living there to the point that Pokémon eventually leave a pond entirely to that Crawdont. This town ain't big enough for the two of us! In this way, Crawdont actively destroys local ecologies and makes them desolate places for its own ends. However, we can surmise that one of the reasons Crawdont hasn't taken over the world just yet is because like most bullies, Crawdont is really a coward at heart. He knows that deep down, all bullies are cowards! The Dex entries make it clear that Crawdont's heavy use of its giant pincers causes them to fall off frequently, at which time Crawdont becomes cowardly and timid. But this isn't the only time Crawdont will make a hasty retreat, as Crawdont also molts frequently, during which time it is significantly more vulnerable with a soft and tender shell. So what's a cowardly, declawed, or soft-shelled Crawdont to do? Why burrow and hide until its claws grow back, or its shell rehardens, of course? While it seems like losing its pincers would preclude burrowing, a closer look at Crawdont's anatomy shows that while the big pincers are certainly the main event, Crawdont also has a smaller set of secondary claws between its legs and its pincers, sort of like a little T-Rex claw. While significantly smaller than either its pincers or its hind legs, it's plausible, at least by Pokémon standards, 
that Cronant might use these smaller claws for burrowing during its more vulnerable periods. A slight inconsistency in the dex entries is that despite the fact that Crawdont's pincers fall off frequently, successful veteran Crawdont are characterized by having giant pincers marked with countless scars. This hints that one of two things is true. Either its pincers grow back larger after falling off, with the scar markings of previous battles somehow intact, or that Crawdont only loses its pincers following a defeat. Finally, we have our first confirmed case of Pokemon as food. In the real world, many people eat animals as part of their regular diet, so it stands to reason that people in Poke World would eat Pokemon, right? While the Pokemon anime has played a bit coy with the concept of humans eating Pokemon, the core series of video games has been significantly more open about this unpleasant fact of life, and Crawdon's dex entries are a great example. Not only does the meat from Crawdon's claws taste lousy, but the dex goes so far as to suggest that it is not as delicious as Crabrawler's or Clawitzer's claw meat. Standing at 3 foot 7 or 1.1 meters in height, Crawdont is roughly the same height as actor and musician Kenny Baker, the man best known for playing R2-D2 in the Star Wars films. However, unlike R2-D2, Crawdont is a bit underweight in comparison to Baker by about 15 pounds at 72.3 pounds or 32.8 kilograms. Having fully explored what the decks can tell us about Corphish and Crawdon's place in the Pokémon world, we now have a great framework through which to understand its real-life influences. The three main things to consider are its status as an invasive species, its tendency to destroy local ecosystems, and its territorial nature and belligerence. Corphish and Crawdon are very clearly meant to resemble some species of crayfish. Because crayfish go by many names, let me just go ahead and clear up what I mean by crayfish. I'm talking about crawfish, cradids, crawdaddies, crawdads, freshwater lobsters, mountain lobsters, rock lobsters, mud bugs, or yabbies. While I'll be calling them crayfish for the remainder of the episode, feel free to substitute any one of those names in your head if you so choose. Among the many species of crayfish in the world, Perhaps the two best-known invasive species are the Red Swamp Crayfish and the Signal Crayfish. The Red Swamp Crayfish is native to northern Mexico and the southern and southeastern United States, though it can be found as far north inland as Illinois and Ohio. In terms of invasion, the Red Swamp Crayfish has been introduced either unwittingly or deliberately to the western United States, Mexico, most of South America, most of western, northern, and southern Europe, and large swathes of Africa and Asia, including Japan. By contrast, the signal crayfish is native to the Pacific Northwest of the United States and Canada. From there, it has been introduced, whether unwittingly or deliberately, to California, throughout Europe, and deliberately into Japan, where it has since become an invasive species in the country. Having been specifically and deliberately introduced to Japan seems to work in the signal crayfish's favor, but given that Hoenn is based on the Kyushu region of Japan, and signal crayfish from what I could find are only found as far south as the Shiga prefecture, the red swamp crayfish seems more appropriate so far. 
While both species of crayfish are invasive and damage local ecologies, the red swamp crayfish takes the cake by being perhaps the most ecologically plastic of all decapods. It grows quickly even in seasonal puddles and ponds. It can survive dry spells for up to four months. And unlike many other crayfish, it can even tolerate some slightly saline water. That certainly sounds a lot like corefish's ability to tolerate filthy and even polluted waters. And when you take into account that the red swamp crayfish's burrowing and feeding practices cause damage to watercourses, crops, and other native crayfish species, we hear something that sounds very similar to Crawdon's tendency to render its nest a desolate place. The Dex further says that corefish will not let go of prey once caught in its pincers. This is where corefish and crawdont do not resemble any real-world crayfish. Crayfish are not strong swimmers, and they don't make very good hunters either. As stated in Corfish's Dex entry, red swamp crayfish are true omnivores, as they will eat just about anything, from rotting vegetation, to fish and animals, to their own friends and family. Look them straight in the eye and say, don't eat me. All of which is to say that while most real-world crayfish will be happy to eat prey it happens to catch, like bugs or small fish, they're pretty unlikely to catch anything that can swim better than it, which is most creatures. When it comes to the level of aggression Crawdont apparently displays in the Pokemon world according to the decks, real-world crayfish can certainly be quite aggressive with each other in establishing social hierarchies of dominance, which reinforce some of what the decks describes. Essentially, crayfish establish dominance over each other through violent encounters. Those who achieve victory in these encounters are more likely to engage in more attacks, and those who lose tend to avoid physical confrontation more often until a dominant crayfish emerges. Interestingly, it isn't always size that wins a fight among crayfish. The most consistent predictor of victory is who attacks first. Crayfish who initiate combat are much more likely to come away victorious and are therefore more likely to establish dominance over others over time. So here we see that Crawdon's thirst for battle can be seen as less senseless aggression and something more like a survival strategy. Attacking first among Crawdon is simply the best way to ensure that they win a fight and maintain dominance over their region. The reverse also holds true among Crawdon and real-world crayfish. Those who lose fights are more likely to avoid physical confrontation altogether. The final bit of information about Crawdont is that its meat tastes terrible, a trait it does not at all share with the real-world red swamp crayfish. Crayfish is eaten in China, Cambodia, Thailand, Europe, Africa, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the Caribbean, and of course, right here in the United States, especially in Louisiana. Louisiana is one of the greatest producers of crawfish as food in the world as well as one of the greatest consumers of crayfish, where crawfish boils are incredibly common. In fact, Louisiana is one of only six American states that have a state crustacean. And of course, their state crustacean is the red swamp crayfish. So if crayfish, unlike crawdont, are so delicious, what makes them such a pest in Japan? Well, they were brought to the Japanese islands in the 1920s as pets rather than as food. Or, if they were used as food, they were generally used as food for other pets and fish. Unfortunately, just as corefish in the decks, 
Those pet crayfish were either released or escaped into the wild, where their hardy disposition allowed them to not only survive, but outperform native crayfish species. To add insult to injury, not only do red swamp crayfish replace native crayfish populations, but they are also carriers of crayfish plague, thus further devastating local ecologies. Recently, Japan went so far as to ban the raising and selling of non-native crayfish, with the exception of the red swamp crayfish. While this may seem unintuitive, there was a fear that if red swamp crayfish were banned in the country, that those in possession of the animals would immediately release them into the wild to avoid penalties, and thus, ironically, worsen the problem. So, we come to one of my favorite questions of this podcast. If corefish and crawdont existed in our world, where in the world would you find them? Corefish and crawdont can be found almost everywhere. While they would be native to northern Mexico and the south and southeastern United States, they would have since become an invasive species in the western United States, the rest of Mexico, parts of Central America and the Caribbean, most of South America, North, South, and Western Europe, South and Eastern Africa, parts of Eurasia, most of Asia, and of course, the Japanese islands. So, with all that out of the way, let's see what abilities and moveset Corefish and Crawdont are likely to bring with them. Corefish and Crawdont have access to three abilities, Hypercutter, which prevents lowering the user's attack power, Shell Armor, which protects against critical hits, and Adaptability, which doubles the attack power of moves used that are the same type as the user. While Adaptability certainly sounds the most thematically relevant for a Pokémon based on one of the most adaptable crustaceans in the world, its actual effect has fairly little to do with its ability to survive in foreign environments so it can be safely discarded. Hypercutter certainly looks attractive, especially to complement the belligerent nature of the Pokémon, but given that only the dominant Crawdont of a region is likely to actively seek physical confrontation while the others flee, it seems likely that Hypercutter would be a fairly rare ability in the wild, reserved only for the dominant Crawdont of any given region. Which leaves Shell Armor. While not terribly exciting, being protected from critical hits would certainly improve Crawdont's ability to survive in foreign environments, and potentially outperform native species. So for our purposes, we'll go ahead and go with Shell Armor. So now we come to Corefish. We know four things about Corefish. It doesn't let things go from its pincers, it'll eat anything, it can live in polluted waters, and it has a hearty vitality. Let's start with those pincers. There are two standout moves that could make use of them, Vice Grip and Crunch. Although Vice Grip is no longer a usable move starting in Generation 8, Vice Grip is clearly the correct choice. Still, we won't count Crunch out just yet. After all, Crunch is typically a move reserved for biting type attacks, and Corefish is known for eating just about anything. Having a move like Crunch that would theoretically allow it to chew through more disparate substances seems like a natural fit for the little survivalist. As Corefish is a Pokémon based around aggression and emphasizing raw attack power, it doesn't have many support-type moves that it can use to illustrate its hardy vitality and adaptability in various environments, so we don't have much choice but to make use of Harden. 
Real-world crayfish molt and grow back various parts of their body, so we can see Hardin as regrowing parts of its body after molting. Unfortunately, Corfish has such a shallow move pool in the games that we're going to cheat very slightly by dipping into the moves that Corfish can learn through breeding for its fourth move slot. Since these moves are only learned through breeding, it is still technically possible that a wild Corfish would know this move, so I don't think we're breaking the rules too much here. I'm going to allow this. And the move we're going to cheat for is Mudsport. While that might seem a tad underwhelming, as all Mudsport does is weaken the power of Electric-type attacks, it serves two functions here. One, crayfish are burrowing animals, so Mudsport could be seen as a byproduct of Corefish's burrowing practices. And two, Corefish is one of the few Pokémon that can learn Mudsport that isn't already immune to Electric-type attacks. The ability to significantly mitigate the effect of an Electric-type attack that it is vulnerable to should certainly help Corefish outperform other water types in the area. Crawdont is described as being much more aggressive than Corfish. It seeks out opponents to attack, it flails its claws at them, it tosses them out of its area, it runs away when its claws fall off, and it molts frequently. All of these descriptions make for some great ideas of potential movesets for Crawdont, but we are once again hamstrung by Crawdont's lackluster move pool. Let's start with those flailing claws of his. Being geared more toward physical attack, Crawdont has some excellent options when it comes to claw flailing attacks in Knockoff, Crabhammer, and Double Hit. While Knockoff is nice, Crabhammer is certainly more thematically appropriate for a Decapod Pokemon, and Double Hit is much more of a flailing type attack, so we'll go ahead and knock Knockoff off the list. Oh, I see what you did there. Crawdon's move pool is so shallow that I'm tempted to keep both Crab Hammer and Double Hit. So I will! Crawdont is seen as the most dominant Pokemon in its pond, so it's important that it be able to physically intimidate its opponents more easily. So we'll be leaning into its physical attack more heavily than we did on Corfish. The description of Crawdont using its claws to grab other Pokemon and toss them out of their territory is very funny to me. And fortunately, there are plenty of great throwing or tossing type attacks in the Pokemon world like Seismic Toss, Vital Throw, and Circle Throw. Unfortunately, Cronant can learn none of those moves. So, just like with Corfish, we're gonna have to cheat by dipping into the moves it can learn by breeding. And we're going to further cheat by being very liberal with our interpretation of the move Body Slam. I think I'm cheating. What's that, dear? I think I am cheating! In Fire Red and Leaf Green, we got our first description of what the move Body Slam actually does. The user drops its full body on the foe. The anime further establishes this interpretation of the attack with Pokemon like Snorlax and Torkoal doing exactly that. However, a body slam among humans generally means picking someone up and slamming their whole body on the floor. Since I may have young listeners, I cannot emphasize enough how very painful and dangerous doing such a thing can be, and that you should not do such a thing at home. Or anywhere. Still, it's the only way Crawdont has access to a move that involves picking something up and sort of throwing it, so it's what we're going with. 
That leaves just one move slot that should be used for its ability to regrow its claws and its ability to burrow. Recover and Dig seem like the most obvious moves here, but once again, Crawdont can't learn these moves naturally, despite being based on a Red Swamp Crayfish. So instead, we'll once again stick with Mudsport as we did with Corfish. The ability to potentially survive Electric-type attacks that other Pokémon wouldn't, combined with its tendency to burrow, make it a good enough fourth move for the difficult Pokémon. Okay! Using everything we've learned about Quarfish and Crawdont, as well as their real-life parallel, the Red Swamp Crayfish, it's time to put it all together and see what the Earl Dex entry for both of them would look like in real life. Quarfish, the Ruffian Pokémon. Originally native to northern Mexico and the south and southeastern United States, Corfish has become an invasive species all over the world. Its hardy vitality allows it to survive in almost any environment, where it will eat anything it can catch in its vice grip. Crawdont, the rogue Pokémon. Crawdont is dominant over any Corfish in its area. It will seek out opponents to challenge in battle to maintain its dominance, using Crab Hammer and Body Slam to get them out of its territory. And so, we have completed our third Earl Dex entry as well as our exploration of the Corfish line and the Red Swamp Crayfish. Eight down, at least 900 more to go. Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Geo, and next time on the program, we'll be traveling to Sinnoh, where we'll be talking about numbers 434 and 435, Stunky and Skuntank. Oh boy, that one is gonna stink. See you then.